Well, it's time for another one. I'm still Jeremy. And I'm still Julie. And we're still two physicians who are still asking... What the hell? (laughs) Hey, Julie. Got anything on your mind? Man, I got a lot of stuff in my mind. But in particular, do you ever... Do you ever wonder what happens to us after we die? Like, is there a heaven? No, not like if you go, like, to the good place or the bad place. But, like, what happens to you? Like, what what happens to your your outer casing? Ever think about that? That's a good question. You know, the sausage inside and then the casing on the outside. What What goes on after you shake off this mortal coil? You ever think about that? I am now. I'm thinking. <laughs> Good. I'm thinking about it as we speak. <laughs> well, instead of set, uh, filling you full of existential dread, I think it would be great to have a kind of a, a really no holds barred talk about what really happens to us once we expire. You know, we're all going to do it. Every one of us. You can't escape it. It's going to happen to you, no matter how hard you try. No matter how much CrossFit you do. Not enough kale in the world, Jeremy. Yeah, it's interesting. I really like that. I really like that question. You know, we are a health podcast. It may not come off as the most obvious topic to talk about what happens after you die. Mm -hmm. But I think it's really important to like what happens if you're in a hospital and you die and your body's there or if you're at home and you die and your body's there. Like what happens after that moment? And I think a lot of people don't know. And I think there's also a lot of things that we probably could be better at preparing for, maybe making that go a little bit better. So I'd love to know the answer to those questions. Can we answer those questions? We absolutely can answer those questions. And I would love to then bring on our guest who is an absolute expert in death. This is Eileen Baldishweiler, who is a dear, dear friend of mine, who I'm so excited to have on the podcast because I think she is a, a wealth of information about all things expiratory. Eileen is is a funeral director and embalmer in the Chicagoland area in Chicago. She finished her training in 2012 at Malcolm X College, a school of mortuary science, and she does it all. She she makes you pretty, she fixes you up, she you know, you know, hugs the grandkids and makes everybody feel happy. So, we're so happy to have you Eileen. Thank you so much for being with us today and uh welcome. Hi, Julie. Thanks. That was yeah. a very nice introduction. Uh, Hi, Jeremy. Good to meet you. <laughs> Eileen, this is so great to have you on. I, I feel like people would think that this is going to be kind of a dark topic, but I really think that this is going to be a fun conversation where we can kind of bring some levity to it, but also some serious good information that probably people can take home with them to help in the future. As Julie mentioned earlier, this is inevitable, right? And whether it's ourselves or our parents or our grandparents or great aunts or neighbors or whatever, this is something that is probably touching everybody. And certainly over the past couple of years has touched more people than it needs to. Absolutely. Yes. (laughs) Well said. Well, Eileen, what got you into the world, the world of the mortician, the world of funeral directing, the world of embalming? What? Give us your path. Give us your story, gal. So, my original degree is in broadcasting. <laughs> so, you know, broadcasting to mortuary science makes perfect, perfect Love sense. It. As one does. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. So after college, of course, don't get into a big market. So I'm just kind of a bumming around 
working at a veterinary clinic, which I absolutely loved. Hmm. My boyfriend at the time, he had a young friend pass away. He was only 28. And at that time, one of my hobbies was doing special effects makeup. Mm -hmm. So I would do kind of like ugly bruises and gashes and like zombie stuff. And I was looking into going back to school for that. Like Mm -hmm. there's even a Tom Savini's special effects makeup school in like Pittsburgh or something. The best. The best. Yeah. And then, you know, I attended my friend's wake and funeral. And I had, and this sounds really strange, kind of a lovely time, you know, quiet funeral home in in my hometown. And they played like, it's technically, you know, second wave ska the whole time, just like (laughs) specials, like really laid back. And it really was like a nice experience where all the people could gather and spend the time they needed to with him and to share their memories with his mother. And it really touched me. So I then was like, well, would you do the opposite of special effects makeup instead of making people look (laughs) gross, you know, (laughs) make them look very nice. So went back to school and graduated and then just, you know, I took my tour of the Midwest, essentially. (laughs) Interned in the Chicago area, Started with my license down in central Illinois, came back up to Chicago, was down in southern Indiana, and then I was also kind of out west, like in the Aurora area. But I'm back in Chicago now, and I like it. So, Well, we're so happy to have you. Although the obvious joke is I hope to never utilize your service. Well, not never, but I hope not to utilize them anytime soon. But (laughs) if... (laughs) If and when I do, if I if I ever die, which I don't plan on it. Well, we're like the same age, so I would be more than happy to have Eileen anti Savini me and make me look hot Absolutely. again. Absolutely. <laughs> My sense is you probably won't have a strong opinion at that time. No, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> sure, you can. I just trust your judgment, Eileen. I'm gonna do a red lip on you, nice Perfect. light blue eyeshadow. <laughs> oh, right. Yes. Right. <laughs> The, the listeners can't see me, but that's like par for the course. Yeah, exactly. Jeremy too, actually. Crease. Jeremy too. Oh, yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> He's going to get a glossy lip, though. I feel like that would be appropriate for him. <laughs> well, I mean, all, all joking aside, which is not true, but first of all, what is the right term? Funeral director, mortician, <laughs> undertaker. I know you mentioned, you know, that you embalm. Do all funeral directors embalm? Do they all do cremations? Like, I kind of like to, I like to know what the, correct nomenclature is so that I'm not calling you by the wrong stuff and kind of just give me your spiel about that because I find that really interesting as well. Particularly in the state of Illinois, to be a licensed funeral director slash embalmer, you have to finish all these cases. So you have to do Mm -hmm. 24 embalming cases and then 24 funeral directing cases. What tends to happen in our industry though, so There is a large corporation. They own about 50% of the funeral homes in cemeteries across the United States. Because they're a corporation, what they tend to do is, you know, have people be funeral directors. So those are the ones that meet with the families and run the funerals. And then they'll have, I will say, a select few, you know, be in the embalming room and preparing the bodies. By doing that, though, they kind of, I want to say, cut the legs off of the arrangers because if they That's ever want to term, meet, Just so you know, is. for your line yeah. of work. <laughs> Better word choice next time, Eileen. Yeah. When you look <laughs> at our scope of work, half of it is arranging and the other half is, you know, dealing with the decedent, preparing them, getting them dressed, everything like that. 
But when the corporation is just kind of like, no, you're going to be our front of house person because you're so great with people, they then, you know, this embalming skills atrophy. And if they need to go to another state or, you know, move to a different funeral home, they're really not that marketable in that sense where they can only do half the job. So I went off on a tangent there. No, that's helpful. So so (laughs) you're right. Not all funeral directors will embalm it, but like... But you particularly do both. So you kind of, Mm -hmm. you enjoy doing the front of the house and the back of the house kind of stuff. Absolutely. You like planning and arranging and then also Mm -hmm. the taking care of mom and dad and preparing and that kind of stuff. But not everybody does that. Okay, gotcha. I feel like television is really the only place we ever learn about death. And it seems like every scene in a television show basically has the medical examiner as the person that is seeing a dead body and then the next mm-hmm. thing you know there's the closed casket at a at a funeral that everybody's crying at so first of all explain the difference between what you do and everything we just went through and the medical examiner and then maybe give us a sense of like the pathway that the vast majority of people are probably going through that's not the medical examiner so like i kind of qualify being a mortician as a light blue collar job so There's a lot of paperwork that we have to do. We have to know what the statutes are in that state, in that county. And we communicate with doctor's offices, the medical examiner, crematories, airlines, you know, to get a decedent from one place to another. There's a lot of times where, you know, someone from out of the country might pass away here and we need to send them back to Poland or wherever they're from. We do a lot of Polish, we call them ship outs. And it's very simply, you know, preparing the person getting them dressed. Um, But all the paperwork that goes along with that is kind of maddening. Mm -hmm. As far as the medical examiner, that is like, I always say like a highly trained doctor who knows way more (laughs) about the anatomy and just kind of what they're looking at as far as trying to find a diagnosis or a reason why the person passed away. Yeah, it's funny that you that you bring up like things on television or in the media. Eileen, did you watch Six Feet Under? Did you ever, were you interested in that show? I did. I was, was that any, any deciding factor in going into mortuary school? You know, I didn't start watching it until I went to mortuary school because I was, it's a wonderful show. And it kind of like, I don't know, it was kind of something to like help me kind of come along and deal mm-hmm. with it because, you know, when you look at it, yes, there's the job the day-to-day aspect of the embalming and running funerals. But there's also, we have personal lives too. (laughs) I know it seems very odd to people, but I would say there's a lot of times where I might meet someone, you know, out grabbing coffee or at a bar or what have you. And, you know, the question always comes up, what do you do for a living? And I'm like, oh, I'm a mortician. And they're like, what? But you're so happy. And I'm like, yep. (laughs) Record scratch. What? Yes. (laughs) Yes. Always. Well, but then I'm sure it's followed up by a lot of really great, like, okay, well, then tell me everything questions, which I mean, I'm about to do right now. So I can't really, I can't really blame that person. No, no. The main burning question, and I guess this is probably going to spur a few more questions, is like, okay, really, let's give you a scenario. Jeremy dies. Damn it. Jeremy just dropped dead. My condolences. Uh, say he dropped dead in the hospital, though. Well, at least we, we assume Jeremy oh. won't have you in your own basement. Or we could make it be in his basement. Whatever you think. You could do different scenarios. Choose your own adventure, Eileen. Jeremy dies. Okay. What? First of all, how do you get called? Like, how do you find out that Jeremy died? And then now you're in charge of taking care of Jeremy after. So 
We'll be nice to Jeremy. We'll say that he passed away at the hospital. He didn't drop so. dead. Okay, got it. He's, yeah. he's not in his basement and no one's found him for three days or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But we can come back to that. As so, as physicians were trained to say died, actually, because passed away is not as final and actually tries to soften that's it. True. So uh, They tell oh, us yeah. you have to say the word that person is dead. Well, they died. Because yeah. otherwise, yeah, they, yeah, there's confusion about like passed away to where? Where where yeah. did they pass to? You know, so, so but thank me. you for softening my death. I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> Jeremy kicked it. He gone. I do try to use like, you know, a little more gentle language, mm-hmm. especially when, when somebody has died because that's so aggressive. But I get it. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And I actually have a follow-up question for you later. Okay. So deal with his Jeremy's, corpse. Yeah, Jeremy's dead in the hospital. In Chicago, typically, you know, they're going to take you down to their holding facility, which is the morgue. They'll ask your next of kin what they'd like to do. Typically, what funeral home do you want to use? That's really the next stop. Mm -hmm. Unless they're really concerned about the way that you passed. Given your age, uh, (laughs) I'm assuming you're under 55. You look amazing, by the way. But (laughs) Eileen's invited back anytime she wants. If you are young and you pass away, they will typically reach out to the medical examiner uh, because we need to know why you just all of a sudden dropped dead. You know, if you're at work and you went down, but if you've been suffering a long illness, then that all checks out. So, you know, the hospital will clear with the medical examiner first and then, you know, tell the family you, you have essentially two to three days to reach out to a funeral home and do what you need to do. So, in Chicago and the surrounding areas, it tends to be the family that reaches out to us. But there are some times where the hospital will reach out to, you know, the funeral home or the crematory to let them know that, that person had passed or died. Sorry. You, no, you, you use your terms. <laughs> okay. is fine. <laughs> but I well, think that was a good point, Jeremy. Yeah, but yeah. say you can use whatever term you want. Yeah. But what about expired? Is that, sure. is well, that appropriate for you guys? I mean, you have to remember that Julie and I are starting to get a little pickled, so I don't know what they're teaching actually in medical school. <laughs> That's I very good. That. that was a good dad joke, Jeremy. It yeah. actually was an embalmer joke, but it's fine. Yes. Yeah. No, I appreciate good. it. <laughs> um, so your family would reach out to us and we would get very basic information like, you know, okay, where are they now? Do you know what? Typically, I start from, you know, backwards to the front. Well, do you have a cemetery for them? No, they always wanted to be cremated. Oh, absolutely. I can help you with that. Okay. Did you want to have a visitation before? Go to a church before that? Yes, yes. And so it kind of, I work backwards to figure out what what the family would like for services. Um, We never steer people one way or the other as far as there are times where people are loners. They've passed away at home. They're really not viewable. Yeah. But you can still... You know, if they've got a cemetery spot allocated to them, they can still be placed in the ground and rest there is is how I say it. Yeah, I think it's a nice way of saying it. Yeah, we weren't yeah. trained on that part. OK, no, <laughs> our, our job ends at like pronouncing. Mm-hmm. I mean, other than like maybe calling gift of hope or if that those people were organ donors. But after that, it's I don't even I don't know, Jeremy, if you whenever you've been in the hospital, when a patient has passed away, died, I don't even know who takes yeah. Oh no. <laughs> I don't even know who took over afterwards. I feel like it was the like the nurse or the um 
So or like the we, care coordinator that would that would coordinate with the funeral home. I don't know if like yeah. the, as like a resident would have done it. I don't recall doing that. So we do actually say the words time of death um, mm-hmm. and somebody does record that. So that's not just glorified on television. Mm-hmm. Our makeup isn't usually as good and we don't look as pretty when we <laughs> right. when we say it. And we hold our stethoscopes the right way in our ear. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. What they do on Grey's Anatomy where they're all backwards. But actually, that's that's another oh. good point. That's another good point, Julie. Mm-hmm. So how do we how do we pronounce somebody? So when you're in the room, like you check for pulse, you tend to auscultate with the stethoscope and make sure there's no heartbeat. You know, at that point, you check their pupils, you check their pupils and see if there's any neurologic reflex. And at that mm-hmm. point, you can pronounce and again, you say time of death and, and whatnot. And then at that point, we have to fill out a death certificate. Mm-hmm. And those can be challenging. That's not an interesting for anybody, let alone this podcast. So we're not going to go through it. But that in and of itself has a bunch of requirements on it. Sure. And then at that point, I do think it actually is like social worker care management or yep. or, or or whatnot at the hospital it takes, over. Does, takes over from there mm-hmm. to kind of tell the family, you should call the funeral director. And then we pick up where Eileen talked about. Yeah. It's been a while since I've had to pronounce somebody, and yeah. I really haven't had to do it that many times, to be honest with you, thankfully, I guess. We ran the the codes in my hospital. I actually had yeah. to do it not as many times as I'd, or too many times that I'd like to, but yeah, yeah, I haven't had to do it in a while. It's interesting that you talked about, I, Eileen, that you mentioned how wonderful I look. And <laughs> Let's get back yeah, to that. Yes. I just yeah. really <laughs> want to talk about that for a second. The, yeah. So in my current state, and I do die, I would imagine that maybe I haven't had the conversations with my family about what I want. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's well because of the age that I'm at. Mm -hmm. Do you find in your experience the difference between a family who has had these conversations and kind of can answer those questions that you just posed versus the family that wasn't expecting a death or frankly, people who probably could have been expecting a death but didn't have these conversations and how that conversation goes? Typically, you can tell when, you know, the grandparents or parents or the spouse has made it known to like their next of kin or anyone in the family as far as, you know, I want to be cremated and then throw me in Lake Michigan or try to throw me in Wrigley Field. You cannot, (laughs) you cannot uh, scatter your cremated remains, Wrigley Field, Disneyland, they're going to come for you. And then any, really, even national parks. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of another side thing we can come back to later as far as is interesting. what to do with cremated remains. Mm-hmm. So you can tell at least they've got, you know, the basics down and we might have to discuss things like per cards or when we want to have the visitation, you know, kind of all these little details. But if you don't know just like the one, two, like the mode of disposition, you've got burial entombment. So those are both at the cemetery. You've got the cremation and then there's also donation to science. If you are going to be a donor for science, I know in this area, it does vary throughout the country. There are sometimes fees associated with it. So it's not always, you know, no charge to your family. But AGA, Anatomical Gift Association, they're in Chicago. They are very organized. The Typically the whole decedent goes to medical school after they've passed away. So, you know, they go and have their honorary time at at Tufts or wherever they're chosen to be. So those are kind of your main, I would say, modes of disposition. But you can definitely tell when people are, you know, they feel a little bit in a scramble. Sometimes hospitals will say they'll only hold your loved one for three days because other people are dying or passing away. And, you know, we just have to kind of keep everybody moving. 
Yeah, it needs to have enough room to store yeah. folks. Yeah, absolutely. Because when you don't know, you can not know for two weeks. Right. It is difficult to... So say that Jeremy's left the hospital. It's been less than three days. Mm-hmm. And now his family isn't quite sure exactly. And you're working with them to kind of come up with some plans about disposition. Mm-hmm. So now he's in your care. So is he, where, do, where does he stay now that he's at your funeral home? Like where do you put Jeremy? So we also have a little holding facility or a cooler. So mm-hmm. when I explain it to families, depending if they're, you know, kind of squeamish or upset, you know, so it's a room that's much, much colder than what we would be comfortable at, but it essentially slows down what is naturally going to happen. It slows down the decomposition process, but does not eliminate it. And that's when they don't know if they want to have a public visitation. They haven't given us authorization to embalm the body. So we just give them a little bit more time to wrap their head around what's going on. And then we, you know, just have the loved one in our care without doing anything. How long of a process can that be? Like before you're like, all right, y'all. I mean, especially if they're, say they want to have some type of viewing, like Jeremy's family wants to have uh, an open casket funeral. Like what's, mm-hmm. what, what are you telling them? Like, all right, we got to have to make a decision pretty soon. What's the time frame there? I would say 95% of the time families know like what the mode is of like, okay, mm-hmm. if we're going to do a direct cremation and bombing's not required, you know, but come in and meet with us. We'll figure out how many death certificates you need. You know, if you're going to place them in a cemetery afterwards, kind of all of the, I want to say like the little details that mm-hmm. you kind of don't think about, you know. Right. So a direct direct cremation, first off, sorry, just to be clear to everybody, is that you take Jeremy and immediately, like we say, it's time to be pre- cremated, that there's no like preparing ahead of time. It's not like a, there's going to be a viewing and then he's cremated. Is that what that means? So, yeah, direct cremation, it's once we have all the authorizations and the permits and the okay from the state of Illinois uh, or whatever state we're in, then we can bring them from, you know, the cooler to the crematory for the cremation process. Like, Mm -hmm. it will, as far as I know, never, ever, you will never go hospital to crematory without sitting down with the funeral director and and signing all the paperwork for it. Mm -hmm. Because you can't come back from cremation, turns out. Why not? (laughs) <laughs> What's wrong with that? How? I don't get it. Yeah. Direct cremation, I mean, as far as my knowledge of it, that's one of the least sort of expensive ways that if someone wants to have kind of a very bare bones, we just want to, we want to mm-hmm. put Jeremy to rest and have everything taken care of. A direct cremation would be sort of the way that people might choose to do that. Yes. And it, it does seem to be, you know, in definitely most cases, the least expensive, you know, mode of of taking care of your loved one. You know, kind of the flip side to that is a direct burial or, you know, direct entombment. And, you know, again, you're not seeing the person. They're not being embalmed or prepared in that way, but they are, you know, still, you'll have to select a casket and they'll be placed in the casket and then they'll go to where they need to go. But again, it's just kind of, a, I would say, less on the religious side, you know, no visitation, it sometimes happens when you've got an older person that has like no family yeah. really left. Okay. And so it's just like we got to go from point A to point B, which is totally fine. Totally. I want you to talk more about costs in a second, but it'll be a good follow up to what I'm about to ask you. And that is what in order or percentages or whatever, like what do most people do? What do you see the most of and that kind of thing? I would say, yes, for we'll kind of break it down to mode of disposition where it's really ends in cremation or burial. 
it's 50-50 right now in the Midwest. Uh, you go East Coast, you go West Coast, you're looking closer to 80% cremation. Wow. And then like 20% burial. And cremation's been on the rise really since I would say, you know, the 60s. But then maybe in the 90s, I feel like the Pope said it was okay. So more Catholics <laughs> started doing it. That's a good point. I wouldn't have thought of that. No, it. I will still have a f- Catholic family here and there where they're like, we can't do cremation. I'm like, dude, the Pope said it was cool. Like a long time <laughs> That's ago. That's how you say it too. Like, yo, yeah, yo, yo, like, fine. <laughs> oh, well, let me tell you what he said. Yeah, right. My buddy. <laughs> My buddy, John yeah. Paul. Right. Um, but the other caveat to that they should, all cremated remains of that person should be buried in a Catholic cemetery. No mm-hmm. splitting of the cremains, no scattering. And so I I will end it there to not get anyone in trouble. <laughs> no. Are there any other fancier ways that I could be uh, disposed? Like you've told me I could be cremated or buried. Is there, yeah. how do I upgrade this? Do the weird do stuff. Tell me about the weird stuff, the, the green burials and all that I've heard about. Yeah, so you have the green burials. Um, in the state of Illinois, they also have aquamation, which uh, some people will call like flameless cremation. So your body is placed in this steel tube. An acidic and water mixture is kind of cycled over your body. I, it depends on like what, I want to say what model they have for this mm-hmm. machine, but it could be anywhere from like a three to a seven hour process. What's left, it's just, you know, the remains from your bones. Those are then dried in an oven and then given back to the family. And it's kind of, there's two ways to look at that. One is, you know, they'll say it's the greener way to do cremation. But I'm really not too sure about that because you still have to use gas to heat the water that is being run over your remains. And then the oven also uses gas to dry out what's left. But it is more gentle than being placed in a retort, which is crematory is the building, retort is the actual device. You know, it looks like a big oven, as creepy as that sounds. We've probably Um, seen things like that on, you know, in movies and in television shows, depending on how, what kind of TV and movies you watch. But yeah. Yeah, I watched Ozark. There you go. Exactly. (laughs) Yes. I still need to watch that. Yeah. I don't know. That Jason Bateman... He's, he just seems like a mean man. Is he polarizing to you? Yes, yes. <laughs> well, so so then you so you have, what is it, like alkaline, uh, alkaline hydrolysis or what's it called? Alkaline hydrolysis or, okay. and they kind of phrase it as aquamation instead of like cremation. Sounds like a Marvel movie, yeah. Yes. Mm. <laughs> right. So in your opinion, it may not be necessarily more quote unquote green or sustainable mm-hmm. for the planet. It may use mm-hmm. just as much natural resources as a cremation, but it may be marketed as like kind of a, a gentler way of doing it in yeah. a sense. Okay. No. Interesting. Because there are some times where, you know, you talk to someone, they're like, you know, auntie, the idea of her being on fire is mm-hmm. too much. Like we're burying, it's, we will never out. cremate in my family. Yeah. 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 I don't think that that's unreasonable. I feel like when I had to, there, our first pet that passed away and the option of cremation versus we buried her, you know, like uh, yeah. just part of me was like, oh, I don't want to burn her up, you know, but like really that's like, a very illogical, <laughs> not like she can't feel anything. It's easier for everybody, but yeah, I mean, and that's a that was a cat, you know, that wasn't my my sibling, or you know, like so. Yeah, I, I mean, I get people's reservations with that to a degree, of course. Yeah, I would say if it feels too harsh, you know, extreme, 
you need to be comfortable with it. Like there's many times where, you know, I've got a little old lady that we're taking care of. And so that's the deceased. The family will bring and like, okay, these are her socks and these are her slippers. And we've got a little blanket for her. And it's like, because they want her to be nice and cozy. And it's, you know, I feel like that kind of helps the family, you know, feel comfortable with what they're doing. Like we're tucking her in. Mm -hmm. She's all cozy, comfy and sleeping. That's nice. I wouldn't have thought of that. You said something about a green barrel. What's a what's a green burial? So a green burial, they're different from state to state. Illinois, they allow allow green burials. A lot of folks would say this is what the you know the Jewish faith has been doing this whole time. You don't embalm the body. You either place them in the ground in a biodegradable casket, like something simple, like a wicker, mm-hmm. or they're la- just wrapped in a linen. And um, there's no vault between the deceased and the ground. And they're actually, they're buried not as deep as you would at like a regular cemetery. So it's not really six feet down, essentially, like like the grave. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's probably about three feet on a typical, like, we'll say a, a burial vault. So from the top of the vault to the ground, about three feet. Okay. But the green burial, you can't have them so low in the strata or what have you because they need to be in that same area where the bugs are and other things that will help with the decomposition. There are certain cemeteries or certain part of certain cemeteries that are like zoned for this or or allow this, I'm, I'm guessing. The closest one I can think of is in like Lake County in Illinois. I think it's in Cary. Okay. And that that's just like their whole property is only green burials. Now, if I went to the cemetery up the street and asked that, they'd be like, no, uh, <laughs> at the very least, they want you to purchase that outer burial container, that vault. That essentially just keeps the soil above level. So it's, when you think about the years to come, you're not going to have that sinking or anything like that. It just helps the grounds crew take care of the property in the future. See, I wouldn't have thought of that. I, I just, of course, like, duh, once once you decompose, you kind of create a bit of a divot. So Jeremy <laughs> created a divot. He did. Yeah. Left a little space in the ground for us. Would you choose that for yourself, Jeremy? Would you ever consider that? You know, it's interesting. I think I've always just kind of figured I'd do cremation. Sure. I don't know. But I think like most people our age, I think I think about this intermittently, but I think about it more so with my parents and and people who are older to make sure that we're having that conversation. But right in my mental space right now, with you as my witness and everybody who ever listens to our <laughs> podcast. I, All the millions of listeners we have. After this podcast, I, have, I, I currently prefer cremation. Can you give us a sense of how much this costs? Like, how much is this putting me back? Does insurance help me with this? I mean... Yeah, who's paying for this? It's not me. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I would say... Arrangements of any kind can range from, you know, 2000 to 16000 If we're focusing really on, you know, direct cremation, you're going to be in that lower end. But what tends to kind of increase the costs are what third-party items. Oh, we have to have an obituary in the Tribune. At this point, they're basically $600. And the longer it is, the more expensive it is. Mm-hmm. You've got your death certificates. Those are never an inexpensive item. And I would say over the past couple of years, because of everything with COVID, we're not able to go into the offices anymore to pick them up. They have to be shipped to us UPS. Mm -hmm. And it's just kind of the costs just keep creeping in there. Taxes. 
There are taxes on any merchandise that you purchase. So death and taxes and taxes on death. Uh, those yes. are all the inevitabilities? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Not necessarily on the services, but you know, if you're like, I really want this beautiful blown glass urn, it's yeah. $600, it's worth it. You're paying tax on that. So, okay. Well, could Jeremy like decide these things ahead of time? Like say, say Jeremy came into your funeral home and he was like, I'm going to die someday. I want to look at my options right now. Like, can you do that? Can you pre-plan this? So there's two ways you can do it. Mm -hmm. You can put your wishes on file. So if Jeremy's like, listen, I'm going to be cremated. I don't want anyone to see me. But then I want to be placed in the ocean off the coast of Florida and become part of the coral or what have you. We write all of that down. Typically, we get a lot of the information for the death certificate at that time in the sense like, you know, mom's maiden name, social security number, things like that. You don't have to give that out if you don't want to. But at the time of Jeremy's passing, we have to get it from someone. So So you just (laughs) you just fill out everything except for the end date. Yes. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Okay. If he were to do a prearrangement and what really qualifies that is he's selected, you know, all the services and the merchandise. So I would say if you're looking for a visitation and then going to church and then a luncheon for your friends and family, whoever's left over, I would prearrange that because a lot of that, you know, there's a service portion to it. That's guaranteed. The merchandise, that is also guaranteed. Mm -hmm. The only thing that changes would be any cash advance item, for instance, the cost of death certificates, it's definitely going to go up in the future. Got it. But at least you have kind of that little bit of money set aside in the piggy bank to help take care of those items. Got it. So your family just pays the difference at the time. It's usually not very extreme. Okay. But you're looking at something that's maybe, okay, 500 to $1,000 difference you have to pay versus 13 Got it. And so like it's so is it financially beneficial to people to consider doing a prearrangement, especially if you have a loved one who may be getting older or, you know, God forbid, is terminally ill, like to be like, you know what, maybe we make this to have this discussion now. Like, is it financially advantageous for them to do so? Or is it just more like, hey, it's so great to just have this taken care of. It's not necessarily do it because you're going to get the best deals. It's not like yeah, get that Costco uh, <laughs> casket or something, you know? Yeah, I would say, you now if someone is imminently ill, mm-hmm. like it, they're going to pass in the next, you know, six months to a year, get the wishes on file. So at least everybody knows what we're going to be doing with grandma. As far as pricing, it doesn't change in that short of amount of time. Sure. But when you're young, like I've had some some pre-arrangements where people made them in the early 90s. <laughs> they only paid like $3,000 for what today would be like a $16,000 funeral. Oh, dang. It's amazing. Yeah. Do you ever have people, so like Jeremy dies and I go to his really lovely visitation that you've created and I say, you know what? This has sort of spurred me to create a prearrangement for myself. Have you ever had like a family member or somebody be like, you know what? I would just love to take care of this now and not think about it. (laughs) Does that ever happen? Or is it ever something like, yeah, 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 I'll get to that. And then no one ever does. Honestly, lately over the past couple of years, it's happening more and more. Hmm. Um, You know, like we'll have the wife pass away. And I always get worried when the wife goes first. You know, it's not like I'm not telling you it's 100%. But the husband usually goes, you know, relatively soon after that, I think, huh. because they missed them. And, you know, that was kind of their caretaker. But, you know, I had a husband just a month ago, like, I want to do the same thing we did for my wife. I'm like, all right, 
come on in, talk to my... And it's in the books, it's done. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. I mean, I yeah. think that makes sense. Because he doesn't want to think about it again, you know? And right. he doesn't want to... Make somebody else have to think about it either, exactly. too. And so it's just like, that sounds great. I'll have what she's having. <laughs> yes. Yes. So it is. <laughs> I'm sorry, Jeremy. Are you apologizing for... <laughs> Your... I'm not really. I mean, I'm saying it, but I don't mean it at all. Yeah. I love you very much, but no, oh. that was on purpose. Eileen, <laughs> what are we missing here in terms of like the process or things that you think people should know about what happens after they die? Mm. Sorry, I got to meditate on that one a little bit. I didn't know if that embalmers need... meditated. Yes, yes. I would love to talk. I mean, if you need a moment, but I would love to talk more about a little bit of not super gross specifics, but about embalming. I think that that is. Eileen, I have forever wanted to come <laughs> bring your Julie to work day. I think we've talked about this before. Of like, <laughs> please just let me go in there and just watch you do work because I find that extremely fascinating. And I know also, Eileen, that you have you started teaching mm -hmm. embalming as well. And I would love to like, first of all, how cool is that? Please teach me. Okay. But, you know, <laughs> walk me through like as an instructor. You know, you can spare disgusting details if you want to, oh, but sure. I think, I think yeah. some of our listeners might want to hear a little bit of like cool, gruesome stuff about like what goes through with the process of embalming, you know, for a layperson. So I would say kind of starting, I've got lab with the students through the mortuary college. So it's all legit. We actually go down to the Cook County Medical Examiner and we are able to use decedents there that have not been claimed mm -hmm. by anyone. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously attempts have been made to find their next of kin, but by the time we get to them, it's been, you know, one or two months, uh, but we're then allowed to do the embalming process on them. So it really starts with, you know, a topical disinfection. They get a nice bath. Mm -hmm. Everything's cleaned. We wash their hair, wash their face. We then close their eyes and their mouth. We do have some... I would say, very career-specific tools for these. We don't sew the lips shut. That's not it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we have these. Well, how, yeah. I mean, briefly, like, how do, you, how do you keep their jaw closed? So there's several ways to do that. One is a needle injector, and it's very simple, like a really short little nail that has a long, thin wire to it. So we'll mm -hmm. place one in the upper jaw and then one in the lower jaw, Pull the claw, pull the claws, sorry, pull the jaws closed mm -hmm. and then kind of twist it just to okay. keep the mouth closed and fixated. After the embalming procedure, because the embalming is really to fix any of the flesh and the decedent in a certain position so it won't pop open, you know, during the visitation. Another way we could do it is uh, a suture and that can go, it starts in the lower jaw, we can go around the mandible up behind the jaw, past the teeth, up through one of the nostrils, through the septum, down and back into the mouth. And so we'll take both ends of the ligature and we'll tie it in a knot or a bow. Again, just bringing the jaws closed. So it's another way that we can do it. Sometimes the person, when they pass away, it's almost like they, I don't know, we're gritting their jaw or something like that. If we can't get it open, that's usually, I'm like, okay, this is how it's supposed to be. But Believe it, yeah. you do massage the lips and just kind of position them so they've got a pleasant but resting look on their face. Okay. With their eyes, we have eye caps. And they're basically like, it's a contact made out of plastic and it has just a few barbs on the front. And that's to keep the eyelids closed. 
See, I find this absolutely fascinating. I apologize if anybody finds that gross, but I think it's really interesting. And it, I like the peeling behind the curtain of like, how do we actually make somebody look nice and look like they're sleeping when we know they're dead, you know, and Jeremy's not going to be beautifully resting in repose when he's necessarily, you know, right after he's died. So speak for it, yourself. Yeah, <laughs> going to be sleeping beauty and be gorgeous. Yeah. No, I feel like I'm going to be like eyes open, mouth agape. <laughs> like just no one wants to look at that. No. So I just give you a lot of credit for, for making people look really comfortable and making their families feel comfortable because they look comfortable, you know? Mm-hmm. Anything else go into the embalming process? After the positioning of, you know, the face, we get the body kind of in, in the ideal position as well. So there are some religions where you don't want the hands to be resting on the abdomen. They're actually supposed to be just straight at the sides. So you make sure you're following the rules for whatever religion that you're, you're working with. We then take a scalpel. We incise typically in, into the collarbone, that area, to bring mm-hmm. up both the carotid artery and the jugular vein. We work with the circulatory system to what I would say, you know, push the embalming fluid throughout the entire body. So I would say it's it's typically two to three gallons of, you know, the embalming mixture. So formaldehyde, any surfactants, any, you know, kind of, I call them additives, but it's almost like if you're making, you know, a nice little cocktail for somebody, you're like, okay, I got to spice it up at the end. And so you might throw in a little bit more of a heavy fluid just because you're like, you know what, they're not quite getting that color that I need. Let's do this. So with that, you know, we'll inject, some will open the jugular right away. And so you start to get the drainage of the blood and that, you know, goes down the embalming table and it goes, and this sounds weird, but it's been happening all over the United States for many, many years. It just goes down the drain. Yeah. So it's gone. I mean, they don't need it. <laughs> They're no, done with it. They don't it's, need it's, it. Blood all of our water purpose. is treated. It goes back to it goes back to Mother Nature. Absolutely. A series of tubes. Yeah, mm-hmm. out of your internal tubes into the external tubes. You mentioned religion as one thing that you had to, you know, different customs that you had to. Are there other factors that play into what you have to use, such as like skin color or you know ethnicities or anything like that, that would change what you had to use or to make something look good or anything like that? I would say as you get kind of the trained eye of the embalmer over the years. You know, when you have someone who is a darker complexion, you can have some dye. So you add a little bit more colorant to the fluid. And then as you're embalming, if you're not seeing those veins popping up or, you know, seeing on the soles of their feet the change, you can look for, you know, I would say like other issuance from the color to get an idea like, okay, you know, it's not quite working. Maybe I need to raise this other artery. One thing that would happen to me a lot in southern Indiana, because we inject from here because it's right by the heart. Heart is everything that we need as far as an embalmer. I could never get a lot of fluid to the feet. So typically, if you have a problem area that's not getting any fluid, you would then go to a closer artery, raise that and inject that way. Everybody had very, very sclerotic arteries in that area. Meaning like they they weren't getting good perfusion of the embalming fluid into their legs. That was the yes. harder part. Okay, got it. Yes. So and you were like, and well, no, I have to go to a closer access point to get the, the fluid into that area. Yes. Interesting. And I mean, like your arteries are sclerotic. They become sclerotic as you age, but 
You and I have a 40-year-old and it's a very crunchy artery. It's usually from diet, you know, yeah, like right. 80% of the time. Yeah, sclerotic and crunchy is a good way of describing that. Yeah. Like it gets it gets stiffer if for, for people yeah. who don't know the word yeah. sclerotic. I think this was super interesting, Julie. I learned a ton. I think we'd be remiss, Eileen, to not ask you towards the end here before we do our our world famous uh, rapid fire. You mentioned earlier that that you know funeral directors and embalmers are human beings, and certainly over the past couple of years, it's been a huge challenge with everybody in the medical healthcare field. And I think sometimes funeral directors and embalmers maybe could be the forgotten people there and the on the front line and the healthcare heroes. So so a I think you deserve a lot of uh, the same respect that everybody else was getting, first and Aww. foremost. You know, yep. r- round of applause of anybody listening. Absolutely. And then we're, the, we're frontline workers and then and endline workers, too. Yeah. So, and then my second reason for bringing that up is maybe you could just give people a quick, you know, what it's like to be you during the last couple of years. I think a lot of people wouldn't really understand what that's like. I mean, I did have to start taking antidepressants <laughs> in the beginning of COVID. Just because, like, Every, my day to day, I love my job. Like I really do. I enjoy everyone I work with. I love helping the families. I love getting to know the deceased. It just like their favorite dish that they like to make for family, their favorite holiday, if they had a goofy nickname. (laughs) You know, I still was able to do that, you know, during the pandemic and the shutdown. Um, But it became, you know, very stressful when we couldn't do funerals the way that we're used to. And I would have a family that would be upset at me. And all I could say is like, you know, this is what the state is telling us to do. We can't really break these rules. In a way, everybody was has been grieving for the past two years because nothing is how we remember it. You know, we're finally starting to get back to normal, but we would have the shortages of like the strangest things. You know, we'd be out of these types of caskets. There wouldn't be outer burial containers. You know, I had a cemetery calling me once to ask, hey, where do you guys get your vaults from? And I'd say, oh, you know, this person. They're like, yeah, we get it from them too. They're starting to run out. And, you know, Chicago, we, you know, we kind of made it through pretty okay. We definitely had our share of COVID deaths, but I would say, you know, there definitely was a a large fluctuation and everybody in the area was really, you know, we were, were just constantly bringing people under our care, embalming if that was, given permission by the family and in trying to do the funerals. And I do feel like we've lost some funeral directors over the past couple of years in the sense where you've got people who've retired. You do have people that, you know, passed away, not necessarily COVID related, but it's a, it's kind of a small field. It feels like it's getting smaller as far as new people coming into it. So same workload, but fewer directors. Yeah. Maybe people listening will see that doing this job can have a lot of value and and joy that doesn't necessarily get advertised with the name. And so maybe we'll get maybe we can advertise for more people to go into this field. Well, yeah, you're providing a wonderful service for people. And again, it's going to happen to all of us. And it's I think it's just so lovely to have someone who is caring and empathic and gives a shit about people who is in charge of taking care of you when you're dead. Like, Jeremy, wouldn't you want Eileen to barb your eyelids shut when I mean, all kidding aside like I don't know I think it really matters I mean you're 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 giving somebody you're helping make their last send-off their last big party I think of you as I mean I think of funeral directors as someone you're an event planner first off yes you're <laughs> someone who's managing financial things you're helping people grieve you're you're someone's 
counselor for a lot of it too. And you're a technically skilled clinician in a, in a sense, you know, like of someone who's doing surgical work, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's certainly it's on an, on a decedent, but like, I just think it's such an interesting field that is so multifaceted and it really takes somebody who's, and I think, I think you were talking before about front of the line versus back of, or front of the house versus back of the house people. I mean, I think it's nice to know that you can sort of like drift towards one side or the other, depending on what your interests are. Mm -hmm. If you're more of like, hey, I really enjoy sort of the technical aspects and making people look really good and like kind of doing the more procedural stuff, or I really enjoy doing the being the counselor, being the family, the the person that helps them plan it. And I just, I find that really fascinating. I think it's an extremely valuable job um, and it's certainly a calling. And I think that's why a lot of it ends up being, runs in people's families for generations and generations. But I just, I find Eileen, I mean, you're one of my best friends, so, but I find it so perfectly fitting for you to have this job, even though probably when you have coffee with someone, they're like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> what is your job? <laughs> but again, like, I think the whole point of this podcast is sort of to destigmatize things that seem kooky and weird or like not understanding. It's like, yeah, you can be, you know, a, a normal human being. I think that the idea of someone who's a mortician is some sort of morose, you know, weirdo in a bad suit. Like, yes. I challenge you to Google this and yes. find find what we've provided in the last like 50 minutes. Like it's just not going to happen. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. No, you're going to get, you know, kind of a lurch kind of a situation. <laughs> we all, we're all thinking a lurch. Yes, we are. And the, or you're yeah. going to get like the goofy goth girl that, you know, is posing by headstones. And I think that's one of the <laughs> the things that really works in my favor is I'm not what they expect in any way in the mm -hmm. sense that I'm, you know, ugh, are we middle-aged now? Yes. Sorry. Okay. Jeremy's a little bit younger, so he's got a, yeah. he's got a minute or two to catch up. I, well, I did die about eight times on this podcast. So I have he's, to say Eileen services, Eileen services were fantastic. If I wasn't dead, I would leave her a five-star review. Oh, <laughs> very nice. From the, from the beyond. Yeah. Maybe we need to do that. That'll be the next app. Oh, yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> yep. I think that it should not also go unsaid that everybody who goes and sees a doctor theoretically is at a point in their life that it could be way better and it, it could scale to the point where sometimes it's the worst day of their lives. And, and certainly when you are dealing with people and families, it is definitely one of the worst times in their life, generally speaking, whether they had time to prepare for it or not. So like to have resources like like yourself and everybody who does your role is just invaluable. So now that we've buttered you up a lot, I want you uh, to take a deep breath and okay. and really, really, uh, I don't know if you need caffeine or something, but we're going to hit you with some rapid fire with some random stuff that pew, pew, pew. really uh, doesn't have anything to do with anything, um, okay. but, but, but is fun and uh, we do it for our own entertainment. So I think uh, I'd like to start because Julia's already mentioned that you guys have a huge history. And so I'd like to get to know my co-host a little bit more. And I need you to drop something on me that nobody else knows about Julie. Oh, oh. <laughs> I don't know about this one, Jer. Yeah. Jerry's dancing right yeah, now. Just so you can see. He's doing a little wiggle worm action right here. Mm -hmm. I don't know about this. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have I to mean, be incriminating. There's got to be something. Yeah. It, you know. I know what? Julie has a beautiful singing voice. Oh, yeah. I'm like actually like really jealous of it. Like Aileen. something will come on and she's just like, oh, and I'm like, oh, oh. <laughs> I feel inadequate when you sing. So oh, my I, gosh. Uh, 
I, I want to know what it says about you, Julie, that you thought it had to be a negative thing. I thought it was going to be such a <laughs> terrible, embarrassing story <laughs> about bodily functions or something. But, oh, Eileen, thank you. That's oh, really awesome. We'll have to, the, the podcasters will have to wait uh, for the next uh, bonus content for the stories, I Jerry, guess. I'll, I'll sing at your funeral, okay, Jerry? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh god that sounds right. like a threat i take yeah. it back i take it back how much does that cost yeah eight thousand dollars all right yeah. julie do you have any what do you want to ask your your really good friend here totally what do you plan at your funeral eileen what do you what's on the playlist at eileen's kick in the bucket oh, your last tour shoot i would say it's going to be all like 80s hits, you know, like Huey Lewis and the oh, news. Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's just the, the Ghostbusters stout soundtrack. The Ghostbusters <laughs> just on repeat. Who are you going to call? Higher and um, higher. Yeah. yeah. No Dexy's Midnight Runner because no. I... Oh, no. No, come every, on, Eileen. Yeah. No, every wedding I go to, that song comes on, people yeah. look at me like, it's your dance. Yeah. Like, <laughs> dance so it actually, it would be funny, like, put it on and just everybody just sit and stare and see just what quiet. my body does. <laughs> <laughs> that resurrects you. <laughs> yeah. This is it. It's going to piss her off one more time. <laughs> yeah. I thought you were going to you were gonna throw down some emo punk ska stuff at me. No, no, at your funeral. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. That would or be, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if funerals are the time for puns. They're time for, like, joke songs. Or are they? I don't know. I, I like when people like do a non-traditional playlist. We had a yeah. guy recently, huge Rush fan. Huge. Yes. yes. So yes. I just made a playlist with all the Rush stuff. And they wanted Aww. to like, they're trying to find a little like temporary tattoo for his hand. Oh. We couldn't find it. And so I went online and I don't know what the heck I found. I want to call it a backstage pass. Mm -hmm. And it was like the fly by night with the owl on it. So I like oh, printed cool. it, laminated it, made it like a little little pass and, and then put pocket. it in his suit pocket they, they liked that see that's the type of funeral yeah. you are Eileen no one else would yeah. be putting weird shit in people's pockets that helps yeah. them move the beyond that's yeah. so rad and I'm always like if, if you hate it we can take it out <laughs> exactly we, this is removable it's fine yes Aww. yes alright well, one more What what's the weirdest thing that somebody's requested oh yes um, to go in the casket or whatever oh, oh. Just, What's the, the weirdest the, thing somebody has asked for? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give you two. Yes. Um, yes, 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 one, yes, yes, yes. I was working at this place and one of the... Uh, Don't give anything away that's going to make somebody mad at you. I know. I'm kind of like, Ugh. one of the other people that worked there, her grandpa died. Mm. And he was, you know, really into the 420 and, and the marijuana and everything. Right. And so... Legal, uh, legal man. Yeah, before we took him to the crematory, they put a little joint in with him. Yes, oh, uh, I they love go, that. They go, is the crematory going to know? And I was like, girl, you do not even know what a crematory smells like. They're not going to pick that little bit. That <laughs> <ounce> of, <you laughs> know. Everybody going to get a contact high from grandpa. <laughs> yeah, they were like, man, I feel real good on Lindsay. <laughs> yeah. That's great. What's the other one? <laughs> then the other one, um, this lady... Like, there are sometimes we have older ladies, they have everything picked out. Mm -hmm. Their songs, the dress, and the dress is from, like, you know, 1978. It's awesome. Awesome. She also had, I think people probably still do this. Your kid loses their teeth. You, you're the tooth fairy, and you, mm -hmm. I guess you keep the teeth. She had teeth from essentially, I feel like, 
every person in her family. Oh, wow. She had care clippings from every person in her family, you know, <laughs> husband, kids, grandkids, things like that. So okay. it's it, it the family gives me all of this in a shoebox and see the big like, box full of teeth and hair. Yes. And they, so and I'm thinking like, okay, I I have put, you know, I've put booze in in, in caskets. Like I don't mm-hmm. have a problem placing it in there. They're like, no, we want it displayed. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> they wanted and their tooth this- hair diorama out for all to see. So I have this Ziploc bag with the teeth. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to put it in like this cute little velvet bag and we'll just cinch it. And it'll be like right under her hands. You'll see it. And they're like, no, 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 no. We want it to like really be seen. And I was just, every time I had to touch this bag of teeth, like I was just like, so I call her the tooth fairy. (laughs) She's going to love me tonight. That's an amazing story. And also like, when you've made the the mortician, when you've made the embalmer go, you know you've, yeah. you've, you've you know, yeah. check that off your bucket list. That's the ultimate bucket list of making the mortician kind of feel creeped out by your yeah. bag o teeth and hair. Yeah. Oh, and then I had to cut one more family member's hair at the visitation so I could put it in the Aww. casket too. And I'm like, that's kind of heartwarming. That's so heartwarming at the end. I wouldn't want to be left out. If I didn't, if I knew my hair or teeth was not in that bag, I would feel very excluded. But what's going to happen in the future when that body is exhumed by like the next civilization? You'd be like, this woman was obviously a warrior and these are all of her kills. (laughs) I love thinking about those things. That's wonderful. Yes. What will they think? Where can where can people find you if they want to find out more information about you or if you want to plug anything, feel feel free or... Or if you want to fade into obscurity, you certainly can do that as well. Well, I, I am a funeral director and embalmer at Nelson Funeral Home, which is in, in Park Ridge. And no, we're always, any of us are happy to answer any questions. There, there really are no questions too strange, believe it or not. It. But just no more it. teeth. I don't need them. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. It's a great place to end right there. Yeah, totally. By the skin of our teeth. Yes. <laughs> this was a, a super great episode. It really was. I think... Personally, I got a lot out of it, which yep. is awesome. And I, I hope everybody listening also found this uh, entertaining, but informative. And if you have questions or comments, please don't hesitate to you know reach out to us through the social media. We'll have that in the uh, show notes. In addition, we have our doc line. So don't uh, hesitate. Leave a, a, a voicemail that we can uh, either get feedback or even if you have ideas on future uh, episodes or frankly, you want to just figure out how you can grab coffee with a mortician. We'll figure out how we can uh, <laughs> yes. Yes. hook that up with you. But uh, really enjoyed this. Looking forward to the next episode. Julie, we're still asking. Hey, what the hell? Amazing music is credited to Skillcell with Pixabay licensure. What the Health podcast is meant for educational and entertainment purposes only. The contents of this podcast should not be taken as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. Please consult a medical professional for any medical issues that you may be having. The contents of this podcast are the opinions of the hosts only and do not reflect the opinions of their employers or affiliations. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast. Under no circumstances shall Dr. Julie Bruni or Dr. Jeremy Allen or any guest to the podcast be responsible for damages arising from use of the podcast.